Now turn with me tonight to the prophecy of Isaiah. We're turning to the chapter 62, 12 verses. We're going to take the time to read the 12 verses together. chapter 62 we're going to read it from the verse 1 this is a chapter that we've preached on the opening <coughs> verses before there's a thought here that the Lord has blessed to my own heart and I'm going to share that tonight Isaiah 62 verse 1 for Zion's sake will I not hold my peace and for Jerusalem's sake I will not rest until the righteousness thereof go forth as brightness and the salvation thereof as a lamp that burneth. And the Gentiles shall see thy righteousness and all kings thy glory. And thou shalt be called by a new name which the mouth of the Lord shall name. Thou shalt also be a crown of glory in the hand of the Lord and a royal diadem in the hand of thy God. Thou shalt no more be termed forsaken, neither shall thy land any more be termed desolate, but thou shalt be called Hephzibah, and thy land Beulah, for the Lord delighteth in thee, and thy land shall be married. For as a young man marrieth a virgin, so shall thy sons marry thee. And as the bridegroom rejoiceth over the bride, so shall thy God rejoice over thee. I have set watchmen upon thy walls, O Jerusalem, which shall never hold their peace day nor night. Ye that make mention of the Lord, keep not silence, and give him no rest till he establish, until he make <coughs> Jerusalem a praise in the earth. The Lord hath sworn by his right hand and by the arm of his strength. Surely I will no more give thy corn to be meat for thine enemies. And the sons of the stranger shall not drink thy wine for which thou hast laboured. But they that have gathered it shall eat it and praise the Lord. And they that have brought it together shall drink it in the courts of my holiness. Go through, go through the gates. Prepare ye the way of the people. Cast up, cast up the highway. Gather out the stones. Lift up a standard for the people. Behold, the Lord hath proclaimed unto the end of the world. Say ye to the daughter of Zion, Behold, thy salvation cometh. Behold, his reward is with him, and his work before him. And they shall call them the holy people, the redeemed of the Lord. And thou shalt be called, sought out, a city not forsaken. Amen. We 
know that God will stamp with his own approval and blessing this reading of his infallible and errant word. Now my text tonight is taken from Isaiah chapter 62 and verse 10. It reads as follows, go through, go through the gates, prepare ye the way of the people, cast up, cast up the highway, gather out the stones, lift up a standard for the people. And my subject this evening is simply entitled, going through the gates and gathering up the stones. Now, these words were spoken by Isaiah the prophet 200 years before the children of Judah were carried captive into the land of Babylon. I want you to think of the great servant of God called Daniel living in Babylon Remember, he was there and served under three kings, Nebuchadnezzar, Belshazzar, and Darius the Mede, and Cyrus the Persian. Jeremiah, remember, had prophesied that the Babylonian captivity would last 70 years. Jeremiah 25 and 12. And Daniel 9 records that Daniel, when he came across this word from Jeremiah, he went straight to prayer. And he prayed in light of Jeremiah's prophecy for the fulfillment of that prophecy. And of course he was praying around the time that Cyrus the Persian took Babylon. And according to Ezra 1 and Ezra 2, It was Cyrus the Persian that issued the call for the Jewish people to return to the city of Jerusalem and build him a house there. And biblical history records that the first return was under Zerubbabel. Some 50,000 people answered that call. There was others returned under Ezra the scribe and Nehemiah the governor who came um, to support the rebuilding of the walls of Jerusalem and the setting up of its gates. Now it was to this group of people, these Jews in exile in Babylon, that Isaiah addressed these words. Think of what he said. Go through, go through the gates, prepare ye the way of the people, cast up, cast up the highway, gather out the stones, lift up a standard for the people. Now let me point out to you again, amazingly this was spoken This was recorded and written down 200 years before Daniel lived in Babylon. This was spoken 200 years before the coming of Cyrus at the end of the 70-year captivity. Long before Daniel was in Babylon, long before the children of Judah were there, long before Cyrus came, long before the captivity ended, Isaiah, by the Spirit of God, was foretelling what was going to come to pass in the history of the children of Judah. That there was going to be a call to this people to go through, to go through the gates. This release from the land of Babylon was prophesied long before they were even there. And surely there's proof of inspiration. Surely there's proof of the integrity and authenticity and the authority of the Holy Scripture. Is it not written? 
2 Timothy 3.16 For all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. And I came across this scripture some weeks ago. I was thinking about gates, remember? We dealt with the subject of the gates of death. And these words have been in my mind since then. Go through, go through the gates. Prepare you the way of the people. Cast up, cast up the highway. Gather out the stones. Lift up a standard for the people. And I ask myself, Lord, what, what can I learn from that passage of Scripture? What are you saying? Not only to the children of Judah back then, through Isaiah the prophet, but what are you saying to us now as the people of God? There's three things come to mind, and I just scribbled them down, and I've developed them since then. First of all, Note the requirement that's stated. Go through, go through the gates. Now, notice the double call to the children of Judah. Go through, go through is repeated for emphasis. You see, this was something that was highly important. Something that they were to take heed to. Something that they were to sit up and listen to. Go through, go through the gates. Now let me point out that the gates, I believe, refer to the gates of Babel. And when Cyrus the Persian took the Babylonian Empire, the gates of the city were open wide for the children of Judah. And those who were captive... They were told, you are now free to leave. Go through, go through the gates. In other words, get up out of this city. I want you to think of the children of Judah for a moment. They were captive for 70 years in one of the world's greatest cities back then. They had been children in an alien land, a land not their own. They had been held prisoner they had lost their freedom they they served a despot a tyrant at Nebuchadnezzar and Belshazzar and we know that in corresponding scriptures the like of Psalm 137 they were in a most unhappy state they they said um they sat down by the rivers of Babylon and they wept they asked the question how can we sing the Lord's song in a strange land they see they had no heart they had lost their joy They'd lost their freedom. They'd lost their pace. And then out of the blue, 70 years into that captivity, mighty Babylon with its impregnable walls, supposedly six chariots wide, and its huge gates, that city was taken. Darius the Mede and Cyrus the Persian. And in the first year of Cyrus's reign, according to Ezra 1 and Ezra 2, he issued a decree. And the decree was, let them go. Open the gates. And he said to the children of Judah, go and build me a house. In other words, freedom's available to you now. You who are held captive, you who were bound hand and foot, you who were facing a life of servitude, I want you to go enjoy freedom. I want you to enjoy victory. Go through, go through the gates. Now let me lift it up into the highest spiritual realm. Go through, go through the gate of salvation. Doesn't the Bible teach 
that were all born in sin and shaped in iniquity. Think of Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. When sin entered, not only did they become guilty and polluted sinners, but they were driven from the Garden of Eden. They became captives to their own sin and fleshly lusts. They became captives to the devil himself. They lost their freedom. Doesn't First John 5 and 19 talk about the whole world lying in the lap of wickedness? And not only did they lose their freedom, but they lost their peace. They lost their joy. Picture our first parents held captive by the devil. Under his spell to do his bidding. And they're most unhappy. Because they're without God. They're without hope. And they're without Christ in the world. And do you know that even to this day, we his offspring, that's our lot and position in life. The Bible talks about all under sin. The Bible tells us the whole world lieth in the lap of wickedness. And you even think of the, the millionaires in the world. I and the billionaires. Someone who supposedly did a survey, I remember reading this some time ago, that over 90% of the billionaires in the world live an unhappy lifestyle. Why? Because the life without God, without hope, without Christ, without meaning, without real purpose. And then we learn something wonderful. In a wonderful battle at Mount Calvary, the enemy of our souls has been defeated. Isn't this what the Apostle Paul talked about in the book of Colossians? Whenever he said in Colossians chapter 2 uh, and in the verse uh, 14 and 15, he said, and, and I quote, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross. And having spoiled principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. That's in his cross. That's a reference to Christ. And think of what Christ accomplished, how he defeated sin, and how he defeated the, 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 the um, condemnation of the law, and how he defeated the devil, and how he defeated the, 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 the power of, of death and, and the sting of the grave. And here's a call that's issued to the people. Here's a, a personal choice that confronts them. The call is to go through the gate of salvation. Isn't it interesting that the Lord Jesus likened the conversion of the soul, likened our salvation to entering through a gate? Isn't this what he said in, in Matthew's Gospel, in uh, Matthew chapter 7? He says, Enter ye in at the straight gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction, and many there be which go in thereat. Because straight is the gate and narrow is the way which leadeth unto life. And few there be that find it. Enter ye in at the straight gate. That's a personal call. That's a, a particular call. Enter ye in that speaks of now. It speaks of action. Doesn't the Bible say, behold, now is the accepted time. Now is the day of salvation. Hebrews 4 and 7. The day of you hear his voice, harden not your hearts. As in the provocation. Revelation 3 and 20. Behold I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door. I will come into him and sup with him. And he with me. 
go through the gate of salvation. Let me ask you, have you entered by faith in through the gate of salvation? The gate, of course, is Christ. He's the way to God. Only you can answer. We don't know what tomorrow will bring. Boast not thyself of tomorrow. No man knoweth what a day will bring forth. Notice also, not only go through the gate of salvation, but go through the gate of separation. You see, this call, go through, go through the gates, is a call to separate from Babylon. To to get out of Babylon. To to stay out of it. Now, Now think of the children of Israel. Some were born in Babylon. During the 70 year period, there was marrying, there was births, there was deaths, there was the building of houses, there was probably the opening up of businesses with vineyards, etc. Babylon, remember, was a place of mixed religion. And do you think of this call, go through, go through the gates? It was a call not only to salvation and freedom, but it was a call to separation. I'm sure that there was those who thought, well, you know, I'm just going to stay in Babylon. I could maybe help the Babylonians. I could have an opportunity to be a witness to them. I could maybe influence them. Maybe I could help to to convert them. Now think of this call to the children of Judah. It was a call to go through, go through the gates. In other words, there was a call to separation from Babylon to get out of the city. Think of Christ's call. What do we read there in the book of Hebrews? It says there, Wherefore Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people with his own blood, suffered without the gate. Let us go forth therefore unto him, without the camp, bearing his Reproach. Think of Jesus Christ suffering outside the gates of Jerusalem. And we're to go unto him. You see, in the Bible, there's a call to be separate. Over there in the book of um, Corinthians, we read, Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers, for what fellowship of righteousness with unrighteousness, and what communion of light with darkness, and what concord of Christ with Belial, or what part of he that believeth with an infidel, and what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For ye are the temple of the living God. As God hath said, I will dwell with them and walk in them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Wherefore, in light of this, Come out from among them and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. Over there in the book of Revelation, Revelation 18 and 4, God himself issues the call for his people to come out of mystery Babylon. These are important verses. And the Free Presbyterian Church, I believe, was raised up of God well over 60 years ago to, to issue the call to salvation to men and women to enter in at the straight gate but it was also raised up to issue the call to separation from religious apostasy and spiritual decline and sadly today many professing Christians choose to stay in what we call compromised churches and we have to say to a Christian if you're in a church that denies the personal work of Christ denies his incarnation that he was God in the flesh denies his virgin birth 
says that it couldn't have happened, denies the sinless life that he lived on our behalf, denies his atoning death, his bodily resurrection, denies the Bible, that it's infallible and errant, denies the necessity of the Spirit's work and regeneration, denies the doctrine of hell. Then we have to say to those people, there's a call from God to come out from among them and be separate. Let me illustrate. There's a man in Tandragee many years ago, I believe he was a church elder, and he went to his uh, Kirk session and he asked them to start a prayer meeting. He had a burden for the people in the locality. He had a burden for the children. And amazingly, the Kirk session rejected it. They allowed bowling nights. They had games nights. They had girls' brigade displays. They had boys' brigade. And he was branded a troublemaker in the church all because he asked for a prayer meeting. And he came to that conclusion and that conviction I can't continue in this church. I, I can't stay here. It's not God's will for me. I must obey the call and come out and be separate and be outside the camp, be outside the gate with Christ. See, this is a call to separation. It's a call that sadly the modern evangelical church refuses to hear, refuses to hate. See, there are churches today where, where you can't, talk about sin you couldn't talk about punishment for sin and hell you can't talk about the blood atonement you certainly can't talk about the wrath of God call for a life of holiness and you're called puritanical you're told you're too negative let's just be positive give us the good news of the gospel I believe in the good news of the gospel but what about the bad news associated with the gospel we're all under sin we're all under wrath and condemnation. We all stand condemned. We, we all need to be saved. We all need Christ as our Lord and Saviour. You see, we in the free church have been called by God to issue the call to salvation, but also raised up to issue the call of separation. And we've got to be faithful to the whole counsel of God. Notice secondly, not only the requirement that's stated, but notice secondly, the involvement that's stated. He says here in the text, cast up, cast up the highway, gather out the stones. I discovered, looking up a biblical map, that the city of Babylon, which was probably in modern day Iraq, down at the bottom of the country, and the city of Jerusalem was about 800 miles apart. Now today you could fly, a few hours in an aeroplane, you maybe could drive, I don't know how long it would take. Uh, I remember you'd be driving through modern day Iraq and get up to the north of the country, it mightn't be advisable uh, at this time, but imagine going on foot. How long would that take? Take weeks. And as they set out to go through the gates, think of Zerubbabel, 50,000 people on foot, maybe with their, do- their oxen, their donkeys, their carts. You think of the problem that faced them. Because they were told, cast up, cast up the highway, gather out the stones. They, they were being told, look, there's places on your journey where there's no road. And you're going to have to make a road. The way has to be prepared. The, 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 the track is just a, a rough track. Think of 50,000 people under Zerubbabel 
and the plan to get to Jerusalem. And they're told, you need to work on the road. And working on the road, I'm sure, was hard work. Backbreaking work, fraught with danger and difficulty. They had to make a road where there is no road. And you know, we have to make a road into our country, into this United Kingdom, Scotland, Wales and England, and in the south of Ireland, even where there isn't a road. I can remember, if I can use an illustration, speaking to a man, he's now in the glory. I knew this man. I, I lived in a little village called Drummodraw, I'd say Coleraine with him. His name was Davy Collins. He was a lovely Christian. He went to the free church there in Coleraine. Davy Collins worked for the DOE. And I can remember meeting Davy Collins one day, and um, he, he was in um, the uh, New Row uh, Street in Coleraine, and he was leaning on a shovel, just standing there by himself. And I came along and says, well, Davy, how are you? And he says, I'm not too bad, David. How are you? And I says, I see you're at work. And he says, aye. I says, you're, you're still with the DOE? Oh, yes. I says, did all amazing. I didn't know he could cross. Because any time I saw the DOE, it was one man digging and six men watching. And just happened to be in that day, there was only Davy, and he was just leaning on the shovel. He was probably waiting on the rest to come and see if he was doing it right. But notice, notice this, not only making a road where there is no road, but gather out the stones. There was boulders in the way, large and small, and they had to be removed. In other words, also remove the stumbling blocks. Take away anything that's to be a hindrance to progress. Now isn't it true tonight that we are saved by the grace of God, not by the works of our own hand, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, the Bible says he saved us. And we read in verse 10 of Ephesians 2, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained, that we should walk in them. And this is one of the good works that we're to be involved in. We are to take away anything that's a hindrance to our spiritual progress. There's roads that have got to be remade, there's roads that have got to be repaired, and there's things that have got to be removed. Now, now let's apply it to our lives. Let me apply it to my life. The stone of indifference. I've asked myself the question, is my zeal for the Lord abating? Is my zeal for the prayer meeting? my zeal for the word of God my zeal for the Lord himself my zeal for the house of God my zeal for the souls of men what about the stone of apathy isn't there a coldness and a carelessness within all our hearts I look into mine and that's what I feel what about the stone of iniquity doesn't the Bible say because iniquity shall abound the love of many shall wax cold and isn't iniquity abounding don't we live in an age of lawlessness and what do we find when we look into the church the love of the many that, that's the people of God it's only the people of God that love the Lord the love of the many it's waxing cold what about the stone of unbelief 
Then he's saying it's impossible to do this or that for God. It's impossible for God to work. What about saying by faith, I believe God? What about saying, not what if, but why not? See, we live in perilous times for worship. Perilous times for the work of God. Perilous times for the witness of Christ. There's things tolerated today in evangelical churches that would have been tolerated 40, 50 30 years ago, we, we hear today as ministers, things are not the same in the church. Things are not the same even in the Free Presbyterian Church from its early days. We, we hear today, well, you know, you, you can't find a good church in Ulster. What are we to do? We're to make a road to the people. And as we do that, we're to gather out the stones that are there, whether indifference or apathy or iniquity or, or unbelief, out of our hearts and lives. So I've asked myself as I thought of this, am I indifferent to the needs of the people? Lord, am I apathetic? Am I cold and careless? Am I guilty of the sin of unbelief? Have I allowed the lawlessness of this world to affect me? Now how can we make a way? How can we reach Carrie Duff and the Saintfield community and further beyond? How can the free church make an impact for God in our day and generation? Remember what the apostle was able to say. He told us there in the book of Romans, Romans chapter 1, and verses 16 and 17, Paul says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For it's the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. Let's remember the gospel. The good news is the power of God. The word power means dynamos. It's the dynamite. We need the Lord to let gospel light shine forth and gospel truth. Isn't this what left a mark in our country? 1610 at the Six Mile Water Revival. 1859, 100,000 swept into God's kingdom. Churches erected in Northern Ireland as a memorial to that revival. If you go and look at them, 1859, 1860, 1861, 1862. Think of what God did in Nicholson's day, 1920. There was areas of this province there was areas of this province that amazingly, and we can't understand this, where God seemed to pass by or go round. Revival remembers the work of the Holy Spirit. It's the power of the living God. And in order for us to see revival, what do we need? We need fresh zeal. We need eyes to see the situation. We need to understand the times. We need to have hearts that are encouraged. The involvement that's stated. Make a road even where there is no road. We need to make a road into our community where there isn't a road at present. We need to, to gather out the stones that, that are a hindrance and an obstacle to us. And we need to go forward. Notice finally, the achievement that's stated. Lift up a standard for the people. The standard, it means an ensign or a banner. We think of the words, the Lord Thy banner. Jehovah Nissi. And I believe the banner here, the standard, is Jesus Christ himself. The standard, of course, is not a denomination. 
But we don't go and ask the people to join a church. We have never asked you to join a church. We ask you to come, but not to join the church. It's not an individual congregation. The standard is Christ. Isn't that a comfort for us as God's people? Here we are in a journey. We're going to the New Jerusalem. And there's a lifting up of our, before our eyes of the standard. And we're focusing on that standard. Remember Jesus said, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto me. And the lifting up of Christ does draw men. And we've got to remain faithful. The standard, of course, I believe, brings comfort and hope and cheer and reassurance to the people of God. You think of 50,000 on a march and see the standard in front of them. And they're, they're looking at it and it fills them with joy and delight. What can we do? We can remain faithful to Christ by rallying to that standard. Let it bring comfort and strength to our hearts. But it's also a challenge. Remember in Scarve at the Sham fight... It always seems to be around the standard, whether it's orange or green. There's a story told about the Boer War and one of the battles there. There was a couple of soldiers found an area where the bodies were piled high. Five, six, seven, one had fallen over the other. And the men asked each other, what do you think this means? They could only come to the conclusion that that's where the fighting was fiercest. And they said together, here the standard must have been raised. And here the enemy has sought to take it down. And here the troops have rallied to the challenge to stand by the standard. You think of our day and generation, folks. The attack on Jesus Christ. The blasphemy and the slander that's leveled against him. How the attack is deadly. How the attack is virgin birth, say it wasn't possible. How the attack is bodily resurrection, say it's a conjuring trick with bones. They say many things against him. And what are we to do? We're set for the defense of the gospel. We defend the standard. That's the challenge that we have. Lift up a standard for the people. I leave this little thought with you. Ask yourself if you've gone through the gate of salvation. Are you willing to go through the gate of separation unto Christ? Do you see the involvement that's necessary and the achievement that must be made to comfort and strengthen the people of God? May the Lord bless his word to our hearts.